Fairfax, and we have a few announcements for you. Easter is Sunday, April 17th, and we're going to have four amazing services. Well, you were given an invitation when you came in this morning, and we would love for you to give that to a family member or a friend that maybe you've been praying about, or this is the time that you want to invite them to church. Take that, take a personal note, and invite that person to come on April 17th. Last month, we had our first welcome party, and our welcome parties are just an opportunity for people who are new to Fairfax to come together, maybe get to know some other new people, as well as meet with some staff, some church leaders, uh, answer some questions maybe that you've been wondering about the church, find out the history of this place, ways to get connected, ways to serve, and we are having the next welcome party on May 1st. We would love for you to join us if you're new around here or maybe just new-ish, then uh, we would love to have you come on May 1st. You can sign up on our website. It's gonna be after the 11.15 service. Last week, we launched our first ever line of Fairfax merch. And if you didn't get in on it last week, don't worry. You can still stop by and get yours today. In fact, anytime that the coffee shop is open, whether it's this weekend or sometime this week, you can stop by and pick up your t-shirt or sweatshirt. And these are just a really great way for us to celebrate and represent who we are here at Fairfax Church. Also, we wanted to let you know that we're tithing the proceeds from this merchandise to our Ukrainian refugee fund. So we hope you will pick up yours today. Have you heard? Our Global 5K is coming up in May and it's right here on Braddock Road. We'll be supporting our newest partner, Children of Promise. Children of Promise is a global organization that goes alongside local leaders in over 30 countries. The staff of Children of Promise have created this video to get us ready for race day. Check it out. Hey there, Fairfax. Uh, this is Mike Webb from the Children of Promise office, and I just want to express our deep gratitude for your partnership, for the ways that we're looking forward to the future, for how we can make wholeness possible for children all over the world. And we're really excited about coming to Fairfax uh, in May so that we can run a 5K with you. We can talk about the work of Children of Promise and really get this partnership off and running. So can't wait to see you then. I hope you'll join us and I hope you'll, you'll participate, not just in the 5K, but in our advocates training and, uh, and get to know us as an organization. Hi Fairfax, I'm Heather Webb. We are so excited to be joining you in May as a part of our 30th birthday celebration year. Thank you for celebrating with us 30 years of making wholeness possible for children around the world. We're so excited to share with you how a holistic sponsorship program makes a difference in generational impact around the world. Join us for our advocates training where you can learn about us as an organization and how you can advocate for us, as well as for the 5K. It's gonna be a great, great weekend. Awesome. Well, good to be with all of you. And um, I'm super excited about our newest global partner, Children of Promise. Um, there's some uh, incredible, unique things about them. You know, I think there are a lot of great organizations that um, serve children in need around the world and do a great job with the sponsorships and, and all of that. And uh, Children of Promise, their like, unique vision, which I think is awesome, is that they're about um, raising up local leaders in these communities where the children are in need and empowering them 
to have everything that they need to serve these kids. And they're, they're a part of that community, you know, these local leaders that are running these programs in 30 countries. And they're able to have these like long-term relationships with them and identify the kids who are in need and serve them in every way that they can. And it's incredible. So we are excited to be partnering with Children of Promise. Also, Mike and Heather Webb are very dear friends of our Pastor Rod. I've had a chance to meet them too. And they're really awesome. And um, we are kicking off this partnership, like we talked about in the video, with our Global 5K that's coming up. Every dollar towards the Global 5K is going towards Children of Promise. They're in 30 countries right now, and we are pushing them to go to 31 um, with our Global 5K um, fundraising. They're wanting to start up a program in Brazil, and we are excited to help kickstart that with them. So tell your neighbors, uh, invite some friends out, uh, maybe someone from your Orange Theory class um, or um, you know, your neighbor uh, who, you go wa- who you see walking the dog all the time, you know? Um, there's going to be a prize for whoever walks the slowest with me. Um, if you're fast, I don't know if there's prizes for that. I wouldn't know. But um, I hope to see you there. It's going to be incredible. Um, and just before I get started, um, my name is Josh Falk. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. You may have saw me. Um, I just recorded this video in this shirt. That's why the opening video, if you got here early enough, you're like, whoa, Josh aligned with the thing. I actually have one shirt, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but um, yeah, so I've, I've uh, grown up in this church. This church has profoundly impacted my life, and it's an honor to be able to be up here sharing um, God's word with you here this morning. And we are in our fifth week of our Lenten series called The Journey to the Resurrection. And in the series, we're looking at these key moments from Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem through his death and his glorious resurrection. It's about the journey of Jesus, the God of the universe who became flesh and walked among us. He was both fully God and fully human. And what seemed to the disciples and everyone around him like a journey to the cross was actually a journey that did not end at the cross, but there was a resurrection. And the story goes on today of the work that God is doing. And we can experience healing and wholeness and new life in his name. And that's what Easter is all about. It's a couple weeks away. Um, little plug, Resurrection Sunday. Hope to see you guys uh, at Easter in a couple weeks. But today, as we are making our way towards that, we're going to look at a very important and well-known passage about Peter. And there's a lot of the New Testament that is devoted to Peter's story. Peter was one of Jesus's closest disciples and went on to be one of the key leaders of the early church. He wrote letters that are part of the New Testament. So a very influential leader who still has a profound impact today. We're talking about him. Um, But Peter was also flawed. Early on in his story, as we're gonna look at, um, he was really self-confident, like he'd said yes to Jesus, but he was like really also arrogant and self-confident, and he was impulsive at times. He thought his way was better um, than everyone else's way a lot of the times, and he was pushing back against Jesus. He would doubt what Jesus would say and things like that, and ultimately, his pride leads him to let his beloved friend Jesus down in his greatest hour of need. So today, we're going to look at Peter's story. 
We're going to focus on Peter's denial, which is in Matthew 26, but I'm going to do some kind of background to lead us up to that. And we're going to look at Peter's, his rise, his saying yes to Jesus. We're going to look at his failure and then his restoration. Peter's story is an invitation to look at our own lives. Uh, I I love um, Peter and and looking at Peter and um, he did incredible things, but he also uh, had a lot of issues. And I relate a lot to Peter and I invite each one of you to to join me as we look at Peter's story um, and look at what we can learn about that through about our own lives. So we're gonna start at the beginning of Peter's story. So back in Matthew 4, um, I'm just gonna kind of go through this and then uh, we're gonna dig into chapter uh, 26, um, 69 to 75, okay? So Matthew 4, Peter's a fisherman. He's a Jewish fisherman and he's fishing and Jesus comes along. He's like, hey, come and follow me. And so Peter and his brother are like, yes, we're in. We're gonna follow you, Jesus. And they leave everything behind to go with Jesus. Then we fast forward to Matthew 14. And some of you might know this story. The disciples are out in the water. Uh, Jesus hung back and is, you know, praying and has other, you know, some things brewing up. Like he's going to walk on the water. And the disciples going to be like, whoa, like what is that figure in the, in the fog, you know, walking on the water? And then they see it's Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He calls them to come out of the boat. And Peter, the bold one, who's like, yeah, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to come out. And so he jumps out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. And then there's like some wind that comes. And he's like, oh, no, uh, you know, I don't think Jesus has got me. And he starts to sink. And then what does Jesus do? He grabs him. And Jesus says, ye of little faith, why did you doubt me? And then Peter's like, Ugh. okay, so um, don't look at me. I, you know, uh, so I got out of the boat, you know. So um, we got that story, right? And then You know, we have later in chapter 16, when Peter proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior who was promised, and Jesus gives Peter the name Peter. His name was actually Simon this whole time, fooled you, Um, but now his name's Peter, okay? And Peter means rock. Like Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Man, imagine that. Like, you're the one. Like, Jesus gives you the name Rock. Like, Dwayne Johnson, the Rock. And I'm going to build my church on your broad shoulders, you know? And, and Peter's like, man. So if you were to try to put yourself in the mind of Peter right now, like, when this happens, things are going great. It's like, oh, man, uh, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus, and I'm going to be an influential leader. Uh, great decision on Jesus' part by picking me. Like, I'm totally up for the task. And um, Peter is, you know, it's going just as he thought it would go. A little hiccup on the water thing, but nobody needs to know about that, right? And because of Peter, he's got the Jewish background. And so, you know, their whole view of what the Messiah would do when they would come is to just with force free them from Roman oppression, So they're growing in influence. The Jesus movement is growing. He's on board. Jesus is the Messiah. So what does Peter think? Well, he's going to kick out the Romans. That's what's next. Like, next stop, we're going to get rid of them, right? So that's what Peter thinks. Then one day in Matthew 16, 21, the same chapter, Jesus starts talking with his disciples. 
And he starts talking about how he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die at the hands of the religious leaders, be raised to life again three days later. And you can see in an instant how this would threaten everything that Peter has gained and had thought would happen. And what does Peter do? He's like raising an eyebrow at Jesus while he's talking, right? It's like, I don't think that's right, you know? And I'm sure he like pulls Jesus aside or maybe he just does it in front of everybody. And he's like, Jesus, are you crazy? He says, this will never happen to you, Lord. And I imagine he's thinking like, you know, Jesus is a wanted man. So he's like, why would you go to Jerusalem? Like, you're going to be, you know, taken and captured and all that stuff. And, you know, he's like, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way, right? And so Peter is defiant towards Jesus. He doesn't get it. And what does Jesus say? I like how the message translation puts this. Jesus says, Peter, get out of my way. You have no idea how God works. Up until this point, Peter has been pretty lockstep with Jesus. Peter banked his life on Jesus. He left everything to follow him. But as soon as Jesus starts talking about the cross, as soon as Jesus starts talking about a direction that Peter thinks is like totally wrong, he is defiant and defensive. He's not in the yes position to Jesus. He's not curious and wondering and being like, okay, maybe I don't get it. Maybe uh, I just need to help, you know, have Jesus help me understand. He's just instantly defiant. No, no, that can't happen. I think we can all relate to that at times. We say, God, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know how we're going to get there and preferably take me on the path that I want, you know? Comfortable, convenient, whatever. And if not, I'm really gonna chart my own way and cut through this way because I think that it's better. We can all have these circumstances that we don't understand. We, we, we can't imagine sometimes how God can be at work in a specific circumstance. So I think we can relate to Peter's struggle here. This, this struggle that he's having, that he had these expectations and this experience that he's had so far. And he does not, it does not compute it does not line up. And Peter in this moment, struggling to let Jesus lead, struggling to trust him fully, was easy for him when things were going great. When he got the name The Rock, you know, he's like, man, this is the best thing, right? Jesus, you're right, I am The Rock, you know? And then Jesus starts talking about something else that he's not on board with, and he's against it. So now we're gonna fast forward to Matthew 26. And Peter and the disciples had the Passover meal. We looked at um, this passage a couple weeks ago. They had communion together with the bread and the cup. And Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. And this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. With the disciples, it's this beautiful bonding moment. They don't quite know what Jesus is talking about yet. And then in verse 30, it says that they sang a song together and they went outside, Right? And then, they're singing songs outside. Jesus drops this bomb. He says, this very night, you will fall away on account of me. Jesus is like, this very night. 
hours from now, you are going to abandon me. Then Peter jumps in. You know, Peter, he's, he's right, he's on top of it when Jesus says something out of line, you know? So Peter jumps in and he says, even if everyone else falls away, I never will. Even if Bartholomew abandons you and Thomas, man, he's always doubting you and not me, you know? Peter's like, I'm the rock. I'm not gonna abandon you, Jesus. And Jesus' response is, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus says, hours from now, Peter, you will deny that you even knew me. And Peter pushes back again. More profoundly, he says, um, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never leave you. Notice what Peter is doing here. He's making a promise. He's making a commitment to this friend that he loves. Jesus, I'm your ride or die. I'm gonna be better than the other disciples. I'm gonna prove you wrong, Jesus. You don't know me. I know myself better. Now it brings us to the end of 26, the passage that we're gonna focus on. Jesus was arrested and is now on trial and being convicted and beaten and sentenced to death. And during this time, where is Peter? In verse 69, it says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Pause for a second. Peter is away from the other disciples. He's away from Jesus. He's not in the courtroom. He's in the courtyard, trying to blend in, warming himself by the fire. So he's sitting on the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Peter is approached by a servant girl in society at the time. Uh, that would have been the lowest legal status in society. And so like the least threatening person that could come up to him. And she's just asking like, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And Peter's like, who, what? You know, like, like, it's like, it's like she just asked like a small question. And he's like, what? No, um, don't know who that is, right? He's freaking out. He's on edge. Um, he, he's just not sure what to do. He just knows that I can't go near Jesus right now. Then he went out into the gateway, the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Peter finds somewhere else to go. And again, there's another servant girl there who speaks to his identity, except not it's a question. It's now a statement. And Peter responds more emphatically. I don't know the man. And then after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you must be one of them. Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Imagine like this area and Peter's already on edge. He's, he's been, people have been trying to, you know, they've almost pinned him down, his identity, right? And he's trying to hide. He's trying to um, run away. And these people around him come up to him and they identify him after a little while, it says. 
and just this crowd of people looking at Peter. No, you're one of those people from Galilee with Jesus. And he is, what is this? It says he curses and swore to them. It's like saying, as God is my witness, I don't know the man. And curse on me if I did know Jesus. Peter is saying that hours after he was just with Jesus. What happened 40 verses later? This is what Peter is doing. Peter, who confidently looked Jesus in the eyes and said, Jesus, I know you think you know me, but you don't. I know myself better. I know I haven't been perfect. Perfect. There's a little hiccup of me walking on the water and doubting you. But when you need me the most, Jesus, I'm going to be there. Peter had this desire to be the friend that Jesus needed, to be the leader, to be the rock of the church and the rock that Jesus needed. But no matter how much he wanted to be that, no matter how hard he may have tried, he came up short. He broke his commitment and his promise to Jesus. We can all be like Peter. I think we can relate to wanting to be strong, wanting to be dependable. We want to be true to our word. We don't make a statement like that to not follow through on it. We never intend to let the ones we love down. Whatever the relationship is, maybe it's a friendship or a spouse, a parent, a son, or a daughter. There is this sense that I want to be a good parent. I want to be a parent that's there for my child. I want to be a, a husband or a wife that is there. Nobody says I don't want to be a good whatever, right? When it comes to the people you love, you want to be there. You don't want to let the ones that you love down. But no matter how much we want to be there for someone else, that at some point, eventually, we fail. There comes a moment where the person that we love needs us and we weren't able to be there in the way that they needed us to be. We let the people that we love down. We can feel like we've let God down. We can turn away from God. We hurt the people that we love. It can happen to, on the other end as well. We can be on the receiving end of that. Where promises are made to us or commitments are made to us in friendships and in family. And people fail us. People are not there when we need them most. There are all kinds of reasons that can cause us to let someone down. In Peter's case, what was the core of his failure? Remember through Peter's story so far, we saw different times where he was defiant towards Jesus. When Jesus starts talking about the cross in Matthew 16 and Peter says, never Lord, Peter says, I've got a better plan. He trusted God when things are going well, but really he trusts himself more. Or when Jesus was telling Peter that he would fall away, and Peter insisted, no, Jesus, everyone else might, but not me. I can overcome. On my strength, I can do it. 
Jesus, I don't, I don't need you. I can, with enough grit and determination, I can do anything. Peter has this mentality, whether it's conscious or subconscious, that he is limitless. Out of pride, self-deception, Peter makes Jesus this promise. But when Peter is faced with losing everything, he folds. Actually, Jesus, not no matter what. That he had gotten to this point where he, he, yeah, he wasn't ready to fully trust Jesus. Peter's identity was not in Christ alone, but in his strength to be able to overcome anything. Like Peter, we can all come up short and feel like we've let ourselves down or let the ones that we love down, feel like we've let God down. And there could be so many things that are beneath that, right? Maybe a fear that we might lose something, fear that we might lose our reputation or look foolish or humiliated, that um, it might cost us something monetarily, that we might lose a sense of comfort or security. Or maybe we have these negative views about ourselves and we don't feel great about ourselves and we end up putting other people down just to try to build ourselves up and so we end up hurting other people. Or maybe we operate as if we are limitless. That we can do anything as long as we put our mind to it. Whatever that thing is. We are limited. We can't do everything. And like Peter, we can struggle to fully trust in God's plan and, and want to trust more in ourselves. But when even with enough grit, even with enough of anything, we will try to cut our own way through a different path and we can end up hurting the ones that we love the most. So what happens next with Peter? After Peter denies knowing Jesus three times, it says this in verse 74, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. There's this moment where Peter realizes what he had done. And he remembers Jesus' words. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He realized his failure. He was immediately filled with shame and guilt. Just imagine what is running through his mind. What have I done? How could I ever show my face again? How could he ever forgive me for this? How could I do that to someone that I love? I should have been better. If I just tried harder, if I just was better, then I wouldn't have failed him. Or maybe he's thinking, who am I? Am I the Peter in verse 35 or am I the Peter in verse 75? Peter's failure brought him face to face with the reality that he wasn't strong enough. He wasn't dependable enough. 
that he was unable to overcome. Failure brought him face to face with his weakness that no matter how hard he tried, he came up short. And the weight of his failure was crushing. It says that he went outside. He ran away. Coming face to face with a failure and the weakness is terrifying, humiliating. It makes us want to run from everyone. His shame and his guilt drove him into isolation. Maybe you have felt the crushing weight of shame and guilt of a failure. Maybe you are feeling the weight of a time that you failed someone, that you weren't able to be there when you wanted more than anything to not hurt that person, to not feel that person. Or maybe you carry with you a pain of someone who was supposed to be there for you and they weren't. And that um, guilt and shame left unchecked leads us to, can lead us to a place of despair and hopelessness, anger, angry at someone else, angry at ourselves. Sometimes we're angry at ourselves and that leads us to blame other people. Maybe it's fear, fear of what other people will think, fear that would happen again. How could I ever trust someone? How could anyone ever trust me? We have these negative views in ourselves, and it's this cycle when we let them fester, right? I'll never be enough. I'll always fail. Or maybe we just sweep it under the rug and push on like it didn't happen or we resolve to be better next time. That if I just am stronger next time, that won't happen. The shame and guilt of our failures can consume us. And at the bottom of that pit, of that pain, of when someone has perhaps failed us or we have failed someone else, in the bottom of that pit, um, that sometimes feels like it defines us. Imagine Peter running away after he had just denied Jesus. This best friend of his, leaving him when he needed him most, Peter saying, is that what I am? Am I not the rock, but am I a failure? Beauty of Peter's story is that it does not end here. After Peter's denial, he goes on to be one of the most influential leaders in the early church. How does Peter go from broken and crushed to restored? We see in the Gospel of John, um, after Jesus' resurrection, we get this beautiful scene of, of Jesus reunited with his disciples. You can imagine Peter is there and what he's thinking when he comes face to face with his beloved Jesus, whom he turned on. But Jesus initiates the conversation with Peter. It says in John 21, 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. But he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said again, feed my sheep. After all of Peter's failures, after he rebelled against Jesus, he was defiant against Jesus, he doubted him, he denied him, denied even knowing him, Jesus came after him. Each time Jesus um, asked, do you love me? Peter responded with, Lord, you know I love you. And then he ended with, you know all things, Lord. This repentant Peter, Peter who is giving up his willfulness to want to do things his way, Peter falling on his face before Jesus, saying, God, no, you know. Before he didn't get it, he, Jesus, he thought Jesus would be different and had a different view of how things are supposed to go. He never fully trusted Jesus. But here Peter was, broken and weak after his failure. And it's in that moment, exposed and weak, in that pit, that Peter realized that Jesus' love ran deeper. He realized that Jesus' grace ran deeper than any failure. Peter probably thought he was unlovable and irredeemable, but Christ met him there. Because when Peter was breaking his promise in the courtyard, Jesus was fulfilling his promise on the cross. As when Peter was running, Jesus was bearing the weight of all the broken promises all the failure, all the shame, and all the guilt took Peter's place, took our place, and rose again. It's when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that no matter how hard we try, we still come up short. When we try to do things on our own, we still come up short. We get this hurt and this pain, and we, we feel exposed in our weakness. And right there in that, Jesus meets us there. Peter was not gonna be the rock based on his own strength, but God's. It's then we tangibly experience Jesus' deep love for us when we are fully dependent on him. And when Peter experiences that love, he releases his will to Jesus. He says, Lord, you know all things. And when Peter put his trust in him, he was transformed. We see evidence of how Peter was transformed. You know how we know about this story? How we know about Peter's denial? He was by himself. None of the gospel writers saw that. It has to be because Peter shared it. 
that the most humiliating, embarrassing failure of Peter's life, arguably, became a story that he shared over and over again. Why? Because Jesus restored him, because Jesus bore that on the cross, because Jesus shone the light in Peter's heart in that darkest moment. And like Peter, we can experience that same restoration when we fully accept Christ. That when we accept Christ, Jesus takes that failure and that guilt and that shame from us. Doesn't mean that we're ever gonna fail again. It doesn't mean that. It means that failure doesn't paralyze us. Failure doesn't define us because we know that our value and our worth doesn't come from our ability to keep a promise, but from Jesus' promise keeping. Because we know that even in our failure, Jesus died for us. Not based on our power or our strength, but because of his. And when you know that you are loved without conditions, it frees you, it frees me to share our story, our true story, with all the ugly parts of it that there might be. It's such a paradox, isn't it? That actually in our weakness, we are made strong when we are in Christ. That the Peter who ran away when things got hard, who completely humiliated himself, it's that Peter that we read about in Acts 2 after the Holy Spirit comes to the early church and there's a crowd gathered. The first church gatherings. And what did Jesus say long before to Peter? Peter, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And in Acts 2, it says the words, Peter stood up as he was. With all of his past failures, in turning away from God, he stood up and he led and he served and he fulfilled what God had called him to be, what God had created him to do, but not on his strength. Peter could not do that on his strength because God restored him. God redeemed him. It's Peter who dictated a letter to the Christians in the first century in 1 Peter 5, 7, what does Peter know to be true now about his love that he received from Jesus, about his relationship with Jesus? This is what he knows. In Peter 5, 7, Peter says, you know what you need to do? Cast, throw, hurl all your cares on him because he is true, because he wants so badly to heal and redeem and restore you just like he did me. And so Peter is urging these early Christians and urging us to cast, throw, throw everything onto it, just dump it on to Jesus. The last thing that I think is so beautiful that we can take away from Peter's restoration that when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. That Jesus responds with, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. 
He said, Peter, you have a mission. Peter, the same love that I have for you, that I, I have for that, for everyone, the same grace, the same forgiveness I have given you, I offer to everyone. Now go, lead, serve, tell your story. Don't stay here around the fire with your buddies, the disciples. Jesus says, go. Feed my lambs. Our failures, no matter what they are, God does not want to leave us there. God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to come and accept his invitation to fully trust him, to throw our cares on him. And when we do that, we experience a restoration, a new life. And part of that is being a part of his mission to redeem and restore everything just as he does that work in us. Not for us to keep that to ourselves, but to tell the world to be the light in the world. All of us are placed in specific areas of culture, specific families. God has placed all these people in our lives, our coworkers, friends, family, people that you run into. You are uniquely positioned to be the carrier of that light and that love and that hope to the people who need it. Just as we do, We're, we need it, but so does everyone else. So maybe today you are throwing everything that you have on Jesus and maybe that's for the first time and you're saying yes to what Jesus has done for you. And or maybe today, it's a time to prayerfully look at who God has placed in your life to go out to be the light of Christ. No, you're not perfect. No. But when we are in Christ, it's our story. Our story is what God has done in our lives. So who needs to be here? Who needs to be here with us? You got those cards on the way in. That's just one way that you can consider, man, who has God placed in my life that needs to hear my story, that needs to hear the story? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, God, we see ourselves in Peter. God, may we cry out to say, may we cry out to you and say, God, you know all things, you know our hearts. God, you know the things that we carry, the things that we struggle with, you know every failure. God, you know everything that we hide deep inside of us. But God, we know that your promises are true. We know that you meet us there in the darkest pits of our failures and our pain. So God, we ask that you would bring healing to us, God, where we need healing. May we let you in, 
may we release that to you, hurl all of those cares on you. God, transform us, shape us into who you've created us to be. And God, give us the eyes to see those who are all around us, God, who need to hear your good news, who need to experience your restoration. And may we have the courage and the words and the, and the discernment, God, to, to share our story and to invite people to come and see what you are all about. God, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.